0: The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. How would you feel if you had verifiable proof of supernatural abilities gained from three NDEs and yet few mainstream scientists were willing to study the facts. What can nde do to provoke scientific studies of the psychic gifts NDEs can provide? Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today is supposed to be Cheryl Lee Black, who has had three powerful near-death experiences at key times in her life. But uh, we are having some problems reaching her, and so I thought I might just generally talk about some of the problems that she has encountered in um, in her dealings with trying to get research done on, uh, on the experiences that she's had. Now, to find out more about what her experiences have been, you can go to uh, two previous interviews that we did with her. One is January 27th. Of this year and the following uh, Monday, uh, we, we talked to her on February 3rd. She has had uh, three incredible experiences, and uh, the gifts that she's received from these experiences are quite remarkable. She's had uh, uh, psychokinetic abilities and um, uh, gifts of prophecy, not, not that she can prophesy at will, but she brought back memories of things that she had seen uh, on the other side. That uh, have proven to be true. How do we get people who are uh, mainstream scientists, people who are interested in, in studying consciousness, to examine these 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 situations and uh, a- and come up with some um, some idea of what's actually going on? It's really a, it's really been a problem because. It's considered to be such a, a weird uh, spiritual topic, and and as you know, science doesn't like to mess with anything that, that, that evokes religious beliefs. So uh, it's been a real problem, and uh, I am hoping that uh, we can get Cheryl Lee on the phone to talk about this, but if we can't do it this time, uh, we'll get her on a future show. Now, because of this, I'm going to go into the archives and see if I can find a, uh, a couple of uh, NDE stories that you might like to hear about. This is, uh, this is from the ians archives. It was called Velvety Dark Stillness. My childhood was plagued by teeth problems. This is, this is from the International Association of Near-Death Study Files. This was a, a monthly NDE as uh, uh, produced on uh, November 19, 2010 from their website. My childhood was plagued by teeth problems and necessitating several extractions under gas. At age 26, the dentist advised me to have the remaining teeth removed, four at a time. The first session was uneventful, just uh, the familiar gas-induced uh, chaotic dreams The second session was something else. It was a revelation that changed my life. It was a timeless state, so I don't know how long I had been unconscious before I realized that I had left my body on the couch and was looking down at it through the ceiling. It meant no more to me than an old coat that I had discarded. There was no fear or confusion, just a wonderful weightlessness and freedom. I was aware of having a form of some kind that was not physical but felt perfectly natural. I turned my attention away from the scene below, which seemed to be receding and getting smaller, and found myself in a velvety, dark stillness. I wanted to move through it, but couldn't. I was blocked. And then I felt a protective yet powerful presence, and words came to me in a voice that was not a voice. I have no way to describe it. Telepathy is as close as I can get. It said, it's not your time. You must go back. I didn't want to, even though I, at that time I had everything to live for. I was newly engaged, buying a house, and my career was taking off. I began asking questions about life, death, heaven, and the universe, such things that I had never given a moment's thought to before. I was not at all religious. The answers came immediately. Volumes of information were conveyed in just two to six words, and and this is where it becomes impossible to explain because the answers were only clear at a level of understanding at which the mind is out of its depth. Each reply ended with, you must go back, and finally, you must fight to go back. There was a brief vision of oxygen, of a um, shimmering grid of pulsating light, and then I was back, stunned and surrounded by oxygen cylinders, a demented swearing dentist, and people panicking in white coats. I was kept in a recovery room for several hours. For weeks afterward, I functioned on automatic pilot, a stranger on the planet filled with a homesickness that has stayed with me for 45 years and is powerful enough to have me in tears at times. It runs like an undercurrent just beneath the surface of my life. When I returned to the surgery to ask what had happened that day, the dentist refused to see me. The receptionist said, rather nervously and obviously uneasy, that that I had been taken off the register and the work should be completed at a dental hospital. When I pressed her further, she told me there had been a problem with the second tooth, which was still intact, but before she could say more, the dentist called her away. Throughout the experience, I felt that I was in my natural element with an expansion of consciousness unachievable while in the body, and it began decades of research toward a deeper understanding. The result, gratitude for this life and this magnificently engineered body and utter reverence for creation and daily joy in being an eternal and infinite part of it. I have never attributed the experience to the gas. OBEs and NDEs were being reported long before anesthetics came on the scene. And that was uh, an anonymous story from the... uh, files of the International Association for Near-Death Studies. And of course there are hundreds, thousands of stories that have been recorded, written down. There are millions of stories that have not been told. And um, it's it's really, we can't screw up the courage from the moment that we have had the experience to uh, tell that story to other people. But of course people will say, oh don't, don't, do uh, you you were the doctors often will will say uh, it's just an effect of uh, anesthesia or you're hallucinating or you had a dream um family members will will tell people don't don't say that you saw jesus if you if you do people will think you were crazy the whole uh, story of um uh heaven is for real about the little boy who saw jesus and how this Christian congregation couldn't accept the fact, even though, I mean, what is Christianity all about, if not the accessibility of Jesus? Anyway, uh, we, I guess we have time for a call-in, um, and our call-in number is 888-463-6748. If anyone would like to call up and, and uh, tell us about uh, a near-death experience they might have had, or um, or if you have any questions at all about near death experiences that's 888 463 6748 in the meantime let me see if i can find you another story i'll tell you one <laughs> that happened to me recently you know I, I in my work as a chaplain at a, a hospital here in maine i talked to many people um Day after day, uh, I interview people in uh, intensive care, people who've had heart attacks, people who've, whose hearts have stopped. When they call a code blue at the hospital, it means that somebody has to be resuscitated. And uh, uh, I often wind up in my role as chaplain talking to them about it. And of one of the things, of course, I have to ask them is, do you remember anything from the time when your heart stopped? And this, here's a, a story that I was told just a couple of weeks ago that really touched me. There was this, uh, fellow who had flatlined just before he hit the ground, he said he was able, he was able to dial 911. And, uh, so, fortunately, the ambulance was, uh, nearby. And that was, a that was a godsend for him, of course. But, um, anyway, uh, he said he told me that uh, as his soul left his body, he saw this little dog waiting there. Just, just, and it was the dog that he had lost three months before and loved dearly. In fact, he'd called him his, his little called the dog his little girl because. Uh, and I, at first, I thought he was talking about his daughter. No, it was this little this little dog. And he said, as my soul was leaving my body, I could reach out and almost picked her up, and then. Uh, they hit me with the paddles. We have uh, we have a lot of uh, problems in the NDE world because we cannot get people to talk enough about their experiences. Do you realize if we had 15 million people? Well, that's the estimate that uh, a Gallup poll gave us back in the 90s of the number of Americans who've had near-death experiences. If we could get everybody to talk about their experiences, we would be the whole nature of our understanding of this world and the next could be changed it's just phenomenal to me that uh it's the reticence it's the embarrassment it's the shyness it's the vulnerability of the people who've had these experiences that keeps them from sharing something that is such a god-given gift that we have to we have to be able to talk about these things um there's a passage in the Bible, and I don't have it in front of me, so I can't give you the citation, but God said, "There, a time is coming, says the Lord, when I will write my law on their hearts, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, and to paraphrase, no longer will anyone have to tell anyone else uh, what God is about, the laws of the church, the rules and the regulations in order to get to heaven, the... Um, all of the things that um, organized religion has laid on us will be will be a thing of the past if we realize that we have a, a, an immediate access to the mystical. And we do have an immediate access to the mystical. Um, and these NDEs and out-of-body experiences prove it. Now, not everybody has to go through an NDE or an OBE in order to understand that. But if enough people were willing to share their experiences, we would be in an entirely different place. Um, one of the things that uh, religion clings to is uh, is this need to um, feel that if you're not a member of this religion – you're not going to heaven. If you're a member of that religion, you're going to hell. If you don't pray in this form or that form, if you don't wear certain clothes, eat certain foods, do this, don't do that, that, you're, that your life is going to be um, limited to... Um, uh, uh, well, <laughs> you may be consigned to hell would be the worst scenario. Uh, and so we... we we bicker about uh, about these things, when really the message that uh, the near-death experiencer comes back with is: when we die, if we've been if we have a good heart, we are going to see God. We're going to see the light. We're going to see an ocean of love pour down on us. That's not to say that there is an evil in the world, but it is to say that no matter what religion you believe in, no matter what uh or don't believe in, no matter what your uh calling, what your aspirations, if you have a good heart, um, the Pope, Pope Francis said uh, back in May, I believe, that even atheists, if they have a good heart, he'll see them on the other side. Where does that come from? Where does that understanding come from? It comes from... Uh, I think he's got an understanding that uh, that religion is not the final answer, that religion is only a step in the process toward the mystical experience. Uh, churches are very wary, very shy of mystical experience. Take, for instance, um, the, the movie Heaven is for Real, how that congregation reacted so violently to the notion that on his own a little boy could see Jesus. We have to understand that, um, we have to understand that, uh, these things are above and beyond, uh, the real, the religious orders of the day. That they go past, a ritual, that they go past, um, ceremony, that they go past even, um, things like confession, communion, uh, forgiveness. They are gifts freely given. And uh even as uh David, for instance, was uh was, was chosen by God uh even though he was a sinner, even though he had uh uh murdered and uh seduced and done some terrible things, God loved him because he loved God. And so the whole thing comes down to this basis of love. It comes down to this grounding in love, this um uh possibly even a physical field like gravity that could be described uh in terms that we would consider uh that we would call love i'll tell you two uh two experiences i've had as a as a chaplain uh one of them uh was was very scary and one was very beautiful and uh i think that's uh um, a good idea of of where uh Love fits into the picture. I'll tell you the scary one first. The scary one was, there was a man who he was dying. He was dying of cancer. He was in terrible pain. He was angry, and his family was distraught. They were crying. Some were screaming. There was this desperate, desperate tone in uh, the room when I came in. I tried to calm them down. I tried to say prayers. They would have none of it. And at the moment... At the moment when this man died, I felt this cold, icy chill run through me. I felt nauseated. And uh, I excused myself. I had to leave the room. I don't know that they even noticed (laughs) that I was leaving. They were so upset themselves. And I went out into the hallway, and I stood there, and I said, You can't come in here. This man was so desperate to live that he was trying to take over my body. He was trying to uh, force my soul out and push his soul in, which is something that uh, just doesn't work. But it was his last desperate attempt. I told him he had to leave. I told him to look for the light. I don't know if that's what he did. I expect he might be one of those... Strange spirits that travels through the world, trying to get their bearings, trying to understand what death is all about, and trying to finally reconcile with um, with the light. And this is, uh, to my way of thinking, life uh, on this planet as a spirit might be a form of I won't call it purg- I won't call it hell, but I'll call it purgatory, because purgatory really describes it. It's a waiting room. It's a waiting room for uh, the blessings of grace, of God's forgiveness, of perhaps just a a recognition of the light to come through. There was a board member in uh, for Ians. He had to resign recently, but he teaches a course in New York called um, whereby he teaches people how to have out-of-body experiences. And one of the things they do he told me is this sort of missionary work where they go out they leave their they meditate they leave their bodies they go into uh, the spirit realm and in the spirit realm you will find people who are uh, addicted to uh, the planet addicted to a person uh, confused frightened um some people who are addicted to alcohol, for instance, might be standing in a bar. He said you, your spirit can go into a bar, and there you'll see people drinking, standing at the bar lifting a drink. Right, right next to them will be, uh, will be someone who is lifting a glass, and uh, they will be imitating that gesture out of their own addiction. We can get Cheryl, on the, Cheryl Lee on the line now and that's wonderful and i'm going to have to tell you the good experience some other time so why don't we go ahead and do that charlie are you there Lee? Hi. hi well let's uh let's start here and i'll tell you what we'll do we will continue uh next week with a, with a full discussion but uh <laughs> uh right now um i and i'm getting a little feedback from from your voice so i'm just going to um uh well, let me start with this, because this is what I was going to talk to you about when, when we were first going to start. I was going to say that you uh, live in Ottawa, and there was uh, national news last week, of course, over the terrorist shooting of uh, uh, Corporal Cirillo, and yes. uh, when these days when someone dies like that, and of course I encounter death in the hospital all the time, I find myself dwelling not only on their death, but on the journey of their soul. It's like it's a package deal. It's not just... Them dying and that's, you know, the end. And I don't know. I was going to ask you if you think about death that way when you hear of something like that, some tragedy like that.
1: You know, I mean, I, I do. I think, you know, I mean, it's such a senseless thing. And I know you can, you can kind of look at these questions as if. You know, you know, there's this higher meaning that we just don't understand while we're here. But on the other hand, there were things that were done when he died. I mean, I mean, I'm so proud to be a Canadian in many ways because when Corporal Cirillo was shot, people ran to his aid despite the fact that there was a gunman walking around Parliament Hill. Mm -hmm. And one of the people who came to his aid, um, She was talking to him as a number of other people were giving him CPR. And, I mean, they did everything they could to save this young man's life. And, you know, the things that she talked to him about while he was dying was, first of all, she told him that, you know, his family was proud of him. Canadians were proud of him. I mean, he was doing a job that was important. Um and then, you know, she also said, and you're not alone. Look, we're all here for you. Your family is here for you. Canadians are here for you. And the third thing she said to him was, and you really have to know that, that you're a loved person. We love you and your family loves you. And, you know, for anyone to leave this world with those three messages mm. is really powerful. You know, I know people have tried to politicize this incident in the news in so many, you know, various ways. But really, I th- think the important thing is the fact that he left the world knowing those three things. And everybody wow. should have that.
0: Yes. One of the things that keeps people... Uh, uh, from having a good death experience, basically, is when people are weeping and saying, uh, you know, family members telling them, don't die, I, you, you can't leave me here alone, uh, you know, I, I can't live without you. All of these things just uh, are so heartbreaking to someone who's who's really ready to die, and it keeps them, it holds them back. Uh, I, I started to talk about uh, a a bad experience I had as a chaplain, a good experience I had as a chaplain. The good experience was totally as the result of a, of a family that just was so with this person and so faithful that they knew he was going to heaven, he would be with God, and and uh, everything was right with the world, even in this even in this death, which was, of course, breaking their hearts at the same time.
1: Yeah, I know um, a friend of mine passed away of uh, breast cancer a number of years ago, and. She was one of the first people I ever talked to about my near-death experience before I even actually knew it had a name. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the reason we could talk was because, you know, I had been to where she's already, you know, I've already been where she's going.
0: Yes. And
1: so, you know, you know, she said that it was nice that she could talk in a happy way about the fact that she was going to die. And I mean, she, she was sad to leave her family. She was, you know, 42 years old, and she had her first grandchild already. It was like she crammed an awful lot of life into the years she had here. Wow. Uh, you know, she was the first one of us to get married and, you know, first, first one to kiss a boy. You know, she did everything way before I was ready to do those things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was a grandma when she died, and she kind of – she said she kind of bartered with the universe that she wanted to stick around – until she made sure the situation with her teenage daughter and her grandson were were sorted out to the point where she felt comfortable leaving. But she said that it was so frustrating for her because her family couldn't even acknowledge that she was going to die. And she knew she was going to die. I mean, the doctors knew she was going to die. I mean, all all they were doing at that point was treating the pain issues um, that she was experiencing. They really couldn't do anything to treat the cancer. And it was so nice for her just to kind of talk about her experiences. I mean, she was seeing her father who deceased. Um, She was having all these experiences that were really wonderful to her. Like, you know, as she got closer to that point, she had a real sense of what, you know, there were good things to come. And she couldn't really talk about that with her family. So, you know, it was, it was nice for me because that was the first person I was ever able to talk to that I could say nice things. Cause you know, when I talk about my near death experiences, people always focus on the fact that, you know, I was in a car accident almost died and I was injured horribly and they look at all those things. When I think of it, all I think about was that it was this wonderful experience. <laughs>
0: tea with your grandmother
1: (laughs) yes tea with my grandmother yeah I mean that's you know to me that was the experience and yet uh, you know and it was the same with my friend Patty where she was having really spiritually healing experiences despite the fact that her body was in terrible shape Mm -hmm. but spiritually she just got brighter and brighter has she got, you know, closer to the end of her life? And she really, she told me once that, you know, she lived for everybody else, but dying was something she was doing for herself. Mm. And, and she had great expectations of it, you know, she, and she had lived a very, very difficult life. Um, you know, had an abu- abusive childhood and, um, it, nobody was ever really there for her, but she was always forgiving everybody. She always had time for everybody. And yet things in life were not particularly kind to this individual. And yet she was such a wonderful person. And so, you know, she, she kind of said that, that she did all that while she was here, dying with something that was for her, that she was going to go see the universe. <laughs>
0: And also, she was preparing herself for a, a good death. If she was that giving and that forgiving in this life, I mean, she was really spiritually ready for, yeah. uh, for that next adventure. Yeah, that's very nice.
1: One of the experiences she had, actually, while I was there, um, she had seen her father. And her father, while he was alive, had been somewhat, somewhat abusive to her as a child. Mm-hmm. and she forgave him when he, he showed up um sh- she was happy to forgive him for what had happened when she was a child
0: oh that's wonderful yeah well shirley this has been <laughs> the shortest interview that i've ever done but we're uh, I, I have tried are you earlier <laughs> are you free uh next uh next monday sure <laughs> wonderful well let's get the right number uh i'll I'll talk to you off uh off the air and uh, i'll we'll know for sure how to reach you and um, and, and uh, we uh, I'm very much looking forward to this conversation because I really want to examine in some detail the 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 uh the place that research is in, in in all of this, because we really need to start getting some serious uh, research done on, on the, the miracles of the NDE. Well, folks, uh, <laughs> thank you, Cheryl Lee, for uh, being with us briefly today. And uh, I uh, we are definitely out of time. I want to thank uh, Cheryl Lee for um, Coming on, regardless of my uh, blundering on the number, and uh, if you'd like to listen again to this or any of our past shows, and I would certainly recommend the January 27th and February 3rd shows, which I interviewed Shirley before, just to be, so you'll be up to speed next Monday. Just go to our website at nderadio.org, and for more information about the work of IANs, check out their website, iands.org. Tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.